Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast, where we share biblical teaching to glorify God and to bless you. This year, we're talking about my part, God's plan. God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is a part of God's bigger plan for the world. Now, if you connect with what you hear today, I hope you'll join us online Sundays at 10 a.m., or that you'll join us on-site right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, let's jump into today's teaching, and don't forget, you're part of God's Last week, the Highland Elders announced that in January of 2023, we are going to add an instrumental service. But they also promised, as a part of that announcement, that we are going to keep our acapella services here at Highland. We have two acapella services, this one and our service in the chapel. And so the news that may have stole the show is the addition of the instrumental service. But I want you to hear very clearly that the elders believe this is a two-part announcement. It's one, the addition of the instrumental service, and two, it's the promise that we are keeping our acapella services. And I wanna talk about both dimensions of that announcement this morning. Let me, just for a second, take you inside my brain and just kind of tell you how it works. And you let me know afterwards if this is how your brain works too. You know, I'm facing a big decision in my life. I don't know what it is, but I've got some big decision. And so I go into my, my brain, into the office where there's these row of filing cabinets. Can you visualize this with me? And I'm opening up each filing cabinet, looking for the right folder and trying to figure out if the decision I'm gonna make is coming out of that right folder. And as I do it, I open one, one drawer and there in that drawer is this file that says bad. Like these are all the things that scripture says I shouldn't do. It's the things that when I've done them in my life, I realize there's consequences for those things. And so I have put that file in that, that folder. I've dropped it in the drawer, closed it. I'm gonna lock it because my kids play with all of the drawers in our house, right? So we wanna keep them out of there. All right, and then I go to another drawer and I open that and there's a folder and it says unwise. Okay, these things aren't necessarily bad, but they're not smart to do. It's like the spouse, and I think in every marriage, one of the spouses is this person. There's a spouse in every marriage who drives the car until it, until it says two miles to empty. And then they're like, I wonder if I should get gas. Okay, not necessarily immoral, probably shouldn't do it. And then there's another folder, and this is the wise folder, the smart folder. And things not necessarily biblical, but just kind of good practice are in this folder, like health insurance. You know, like, yeah, you should probably have that. But the folder I'm looking for when I'm making a big decision is I'm looking for that folder that says on it, good and glorifying. Good meaning that it aligns with God's will and glorifying meaning that it's going to bring God glory as king of my life. And what you should want to know about the decision that your elders have made is did it come out of that folder? Did it come out of the good and glorifying folder? And I'll tell you, the response that we've gotten has been overwhelmingly positive. We expected, because of the degree of confidence and conviction that our elders shared about this, that the congregation would feel similarly, but I'll tell you the response has been even better than we imagined, so I'm thankful for that. But whether you're for it or whether you still have fair and good concerns, that should be your question. Did this come out of the good and glorifying folder? A couple of years ago, uh, uh, 
family came here. They've, well, they've been here over a decade now, but I was talking to him a few months ago. And she told me, Eric, the reason that we chose Highland was because we knew that we could trust Highland with God's word. That was the most important thing to us. And I think that's the right way to make that decision. She said there was some other cool stuff. The youth group was great. The children's ministry was awesome. And we were concerned about our kids and their futures and the faith. But I'll tell you, the most important condition for us was that we could trust Highland with God's word. What's she saying? When Highland's leaders go to make decisions about this church's future, are they always going to draw from that good and glorifying folder? Is that what they're going to do? All right, here's what I want to do today and then next week. Today I'm going to talk about, was this decision good and glorifying generally? And next week I'm going to talk about whether it's a good and glorifying decision for us here. So one of those is just the biblical principles about how we worship. And next week it's about how those principles apply to our context, who we are, our timing, our vision, all those things related to us here at Highland. We're going to talk about that next week. Two important notes before we jump in. So much intro for this. Uh, the first is, if you've been in churches of Christ a long time, there's going to be some questions that rise up in your heart today, this morning, that I won't get to answer during this now 22-minute sermon. You should come this afternoon to the Digging Deeper session at 4 p.m. in the Youth Mission where one of your shepherds, David Jackson, and I are going to handle those questions that deal specifically with our history as a movement and how we interpret Scripture within this movement. So if you have some of those questions personally, or if you're thinking about conversations you may have with your dad or grandma or brother or sister, okay, and you want to understand how we've thought through some of those important questions, come this afternoon. I can't cover them this morning, but we want to, I promise you, we are committed to honoring our heritage I hope you'll hear that from me this morning, and I hope you'll hear that in those sessions. Secondly, if you did not grow up in the churches of Christ, if you're new to faith, if you're new to the church, if you're new to this church, you're thinking to yourself, why in the world are we talking about this? And everybody looks so serious. Is this a big deal? You know, it's kind of like... Um, Let's say you married into a family and you go home for Thanksgiving and you come in and all the siblings are with mom and dad having some really serious conversation and it's clear to you, I missed something, right? But apparently they need to talk about this. That's kind of how this is. This is a, you've stumbled into a family meeting. You're like, get me out of here. All right, we need to talk about it. Okay, I got a call from a church looking for a preacher the other day asking if I knew anybody to recommend to him. And what churches do when they're looking for a preacher is they put together a little packet that kind of outlines who their church is and what their church does, okay? And it's real fancy. It looks really great, and it's trying to motivate some preacher to, to move there and take the job. So I said, well, send me that packet. I'll look at it, and I'll see if I, I know of anybody who might match. And I open it up, and the first section they have is who we are as a church, who we are. And this is what they said on their who we are section. It was four things. Number one, we're Bible believing. Number two, we're acapella. Number three, we are service oriented. And number four, we're diverse and multi-generational. And what struck me as I thought about that was that acapella 
was not in their what we do section. It was in their who we are section. Do you get what I'm saying? That when we talk about worship, we are talking about the deepest parts of who we are. We're talking about identity. And that's by design. God designed worship so that in worship, your heart, the deepest part of who you are, would connect with him who is your deepest need. When you do that long enough, that becomes your identity. And so I recognize how important and significant this is to us, and it should be. Now, if you, take, if you picked up this worship guide last week, what I'm going to try to do today is to kind of give you the background behind this worship guide. Next week, I'll be doing some, more, some different stuff, really. But I'm going to kind of walk through it and give you, I'm going to kind of fill in the gaps this morning. Okay. Because worship is where your heart connects with God, your deepest need, God calls us to do it. We're actually told in Isaiah that you were made the people he formed that you might praise his name. You see that? The reason you were made was to give God worship. Jesus repeats this. Jesus says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And there's a clue there in that parallel phrase that when we worship God, what we're doing is serving God. So when I serve somebody, what's happening is I'm putting myself beneath that person. I'm elevating them and their needs. And that's a clue as to what happens when we worship God is that the one who really deserves to be elevated on high as our king is elevated when you and I do what? Worship him above anything else. So let me show you two passages, one from the Old Testament and one from the New that make this point really clearly. Look at this. The psalmist says this in Psalm 29 too. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. It's a parallel here. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. What happens when I worship God? I'm giving glory to the one who's worthy of it. You see that? The glory do his name. He's worthy of it. All right. Come with me now to Revelation, the very end of the Bible, the New Testament. And tell me if this sounds familiar to what you just read. Look at this. When the heavenly creatures and the elders fall down and worship him who lives forever and ever, this is what they're saying. You're worthy, our Lord and God, to receive what? Glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So when I worship God, I'm giving glory to the one who's worthy of it. You see that? And here's the point I want to make. I just gave you a passage from the Old Testament and a passage from the New. And both say that the purpose of worship is the same. Do you see that? The purpose, of the, worship from old, the purpose of worship from Old Testament history to New Testament reality right now, in fact, what's happening in heaven right now, the purpose of worship has forever been and forever will be the same to give the only one who's worthy glory. All right, so try to think about a metaphor for this. Suppose you grew up playing baseball, and you're pretty good at baseball. You played high school baseball, you went on to play college baseball, maybe you even made it to the pros, but your body 
is getting old, it's starting to fail you, and so you have to retire. You've had a good run, but you've got to retire. And you feel like your life is over. But you come to church that Sunday, and it just so happens that Sunday, they're announcing signups for church league softball. <laughs> what all washed up, overweight, old men play. Okay? And so you're like, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do church league softball. And you go out for church league softball and you realize you've never played softball. You've only played baseball. So you talk to this other guy there in the dugout and you're like, tell me about this game. And he says to you, it's basically baseball. Okay. The point of the game is the same. Hit runs, get outs, win the game. There are some differences. We use a big ball, the pitcher throws it underhand. Because we're older and slower, we put four guys in the outfield instead of three. But the point of the game is the same. And I think that's what we're dealing with when we talk about worship from the Old to New Testaments. The point of the game is the same. To bring God glory. All right. So when we talk about worship, that's the clue. That if we're talking about worship, we are probably pulling out of that good and glorifying folder because that's the whole purpose of worship is to give God glory. And when we worship, that's what we're doing. We're glorifying God. Okay. Poor guy. Poor guy. Uh, as long as none of the, no one else runs out of here screaming and crying, we'll be all right. All right. So when we talk about worship, what we're talking about is something that's inherently glorifying to God. But you should be thinking to yourself, if I worship in a way that doesn't align with God's will, his good will, then is it still good and glorifying? Now that word good's a really important biblical word. That word goes all the way back to Genesis 1, when God creates the world and everything is in perfect alignment with his will. Before sin comes in and messes everything up, when everything's perfectly aligned with God's will, what does he call it? Good. So we're paying attention to when we see that word in Scripture, and we want to do things that are good, that align with God's will. Now, all right, let's break here, and let me, let me just talk to you for a second. We believe, your elders and staff believe, that singing is good, and that there's no doubt about that. And some of you are thinking to yourself, oh, I don't sing that good. You should sing anyways. We think it's good for your heart that singing is one of the ways that God has made that we connect with him and that you should sing. So even if you don't sing good, you should still sing. There's been a couple times up here in the pulpit where I broke into song and afterwards people always come up and tell me, you shouldn't probably do that again. And so I know I can't sing too good, okay? But we believe that singing is an important biblical virtue and practice that every Christian is called to. Look at this. This is with me in Psalm 147.1. How good, how good, we're paying attention to that word, it is to sing praises to our God. And this is a statement that's repeated over and over again in Scripture. It is good to sing to God. Um. Your elders and staff believe not only does the Word of God show us this, but our experience has confirmed it. All of your elders, all of your staff, probably everybody in this room has, has, has had experiences where you connected with God in a deep way while singing. And 
perhaps singing a cappella. If you grew up in churches of Christ, like me, you probably grew up going to church camp. I mean, how many of you have a memory where you were gathered around some fire at church camp, singing hymns, popcorn style, one after another, somebody would just start a hymn. Sometimes it was off key, it was okay, right? And you felt so close to God at that moment. We used to baptize kids at our church camp in a river. And so all the church buses would pull down to the river and shine their headlights into the water. And we would wade out into the water together. And it was, it was great. We'd all wade out there holding hands. It was the one time in church camp where you could hold a girl's hand and nobody got upset, right? And so we'd wade out into the water together and we'd just sing as one person after another were baptized into Christ. I remember vividly steam coming off the water and those headlights from the church buses, us singing, break my heart, dear Lord. Tear the barriers down. Show me with convicting tears the glory of your crown. You know that song? And you 90s babies know that song, right? If you grew up in the 90s, okay. Probably all of you have memories like that where you were singing a cappella, whether it was here or some other church. Maybe it was on a Sunday morning that your life was changed. Maybe it was at a funeral where somebody you love was being honored and treasured. And you still remember those songs and those, the thought of those songs, just humming a line of those songs touches a place in your heart that it's hard for you to even put words to. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. We believe at this church that a cappella singing is very good. And we're going to keep it. I heard about a, a fellow this week who was talking with one of our leaders about this announcement to add the instrumental service and to keep our acapella services. And he was so happy and so just jazzed about this. I mean, he was excited because we were doing this for the next generation. He saw that clearly. He's concerned about their faith. He realizes the instrumental worship is good. And then he started to cry and he's just apologizing. He didn't know why he was crying. And finally he said, I just, I do hope we don't stop singing some of those old songs because they're really special to me. You know that feeling? He's got all these memories, all these moments. He connected with God in the deepest ways while singing. Amen. We're going to keep that here. That's our promise. We're going to keep that. Let me tell you, there are no two guys at this church who love acapella worship more than our two worship ministers, Breeshan Hasher and Jim Chester. Jim Chester has been leading acapella worship for over 70 years. Over 70 years he's been leading acapella worship. Do you think he thinks it's good? Yeah. Yeah. Brecian was in the acapella group. Okay. His uncle invented acapella. <laughs> kind of, right? His uncle certainly made more money off of acapella than Brecian made off of acapella. And Brecian's going on tour with the group acapella this spring. We're going to host them here at our building. Tickets are kind of expensive, but that guy's worth it. Brecian Hatcher is worth it. And God is worth it. We are, we are not going to stop singing a cappella. We value that too much, and we believe it is too good. When the elders did this study, they did it apart from the staff. They went ahead of the staff on this study, okay? They wanted to study in confidence. This was God's word and not just anybody's desire among our leadership group, and so they studied it. But they did go to Brecian and ask him his thoughts, and they went to Jim Chester, and they asked him his thoughts. You know what Jim Chester said when they asked if he was okay with us adding this instrumental service? You know what he said? He said, that's great as long as you do it really well because that's what God deserves. That's what he said. 
a guy who's been leading acapella worship for 70 years. That's what he said. What does he know? Well, he knows that singing is good, but he also knows singing with instruments can be very good. Look, look with me. That Psalm I just quoted, Psalm 147, look what it says six verses later. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to God on the harp. You see that? Same song. The Bible tells us again and again to sing and make music. That word make music literally means to pluck an instrument. That's, that's what the word means. That's a recurring refrain that is both in Old Testaments and New Testaments. If you want to talk about Ephesians 5.19, come this afternoon and next week as we'll engage that passage when we study this together with our elders. But look with me at this passage in Psalm 92. Pay attention to the third word. It is what? Good to praise the Lord and make music pluck to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. How? To the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds. I sing for joy at the work of your hands or what your hands have done. See that? What does he say? It is good. Psalm 149 tells us that God delights when his people worship him with instruments. Why? Well, Psalm 149 is an enthronement psalm. It's a psalm that's saying as, as the king is taking his place. And what you have in Psalm 149 is a whole band joining together to elevate God as king and glorious and above all else. And so do you think God delights in it? He tells us, yes, yes, he does. So if you were to go back to that filing cabinet and you were to open it up and to look for good and glorifying, I think you would pull out the acapella page, but you would also see right behind it the instrumental page. And we think both those things are good and glorifying. Now, the Word of God tells us this, but our experience has also confirmed it. I mean, how many of you listened on your way to worship this morning, listened to K-Love or something like that? Yeah, look at these kids down here. They did. You listen to that to prepare your heart to, wor your heart to worship God in this hour, and I'm thankful you did. How many of you have had an experience driving in the car, listening to some song about God on the radio, and you were brought to tears, hands raised in the middle of your car when you shouldn't have your hands off the wheel? I mean, how many of you have had that experience, right? Or come to the youth mission on a Wednesday night and to see our young people worshiping along with the band, which they do most Wednesdays, just pouring out their heart to God. And it's hard to be in that room and not think to yourself, man, God's getting a lot of glory in this room. Our experiences confirm the goodness of this. Now, to go back to the baseball and softball metaphor, aren't there some things that are different about the game? Yes, and the Bible tells us what those things are. And it's really clear about the differences, like about animal sacrifice. We don't do that anymore. But again, if what was good then is no longer good, then heaven does not make any sense. Come with me to Revelation really quick. Let me show you this in Revelation. This is three passages. I've brought them all together into one spot in Revelation. So when we look into heaven and see what's happening right now and what will be happening forever, this is what we see. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. They're worshiping. Each one had a harp. And the sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps, 
And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And they held harps given them by who? God. It wasn't like God had taken all the instruments and locked them away in the closet. And the kids got in there and found the Christmas presents and got them out. God gave them the instruments to use in worshiping him. Okay, so think about this with me for a second. Singing and making music with instruments was good in our distant past. And it's good right now and will be forever in heaven. And it's not good right here on earth. Let me remind you what Jesus tells us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Now here's the point. There's two truths in that line. What's happening in heaven is God's will. That's the first. What's happening in heaven is God's will. And our instruction from our Savior is to pray that what happens in heaven would happen here too. That's it. Do you see that? Or like our elders believed as they came to conviction about that. If it's good enough for heaven, it must be good enough for us. Oh, goodness, I've got so much I want to say. One of the things that confirmed this goodness for me personally, because I wasn't sure if this was something that we should do or not. One of the things that confirmed the goodness of this for me personally was watching our elders one by one grow to conviction and receive great clarity about this decision. One of the most holy moments that I've been a part of in the leadership of this church was a meeting right over there in one of those classrooms where they went around the room and one elder after another said he believed we should do this. I mean, the Holy Spirit was so present in that room, I had goosebumps. Like it felt like I could reach out and touch the Spirit. And the moments that you have like that are rare, aren't they? They're rare. All that to say, we were confirmed that this was good. Okay. But if you were to come back to that filing cabinet and you were to open up that folder and you were to find acapella in the good and glorifying folder and you were to find instrumental in the good and glorifying folder, I think when you pulled out instrumental, there would be something stapled to it. And you turn back to look at the page behind it and it says, in the case of Churches of Christ, we recommend both and. That if you're going to do both, don't force on people who love and connect with the Lord in the acapella style, something that will disrupt their connection to God. That probably wouldn't be too good. But if you're a church where different groups of people can love and worship God in different ways and still be part of the same church family, a church where it's both and and not either or, that is a good thing. And our, our elders looked at scripture to see this. You look at Acts 15, the Jerusalem council. Here's what we know about the early church. The Jewish Christians, the first Christians who were Jewish probably continued to worship God in nearly all of their Jewish ways because that was the way their hearts had been tuned to worship God. 
And yet they realized it wasn't fair for them to put those things on these new Gentile believers. And so they told them to refrain from a couple things, but otherwise they said it seemed good to us and to God, to the Holy Spirit, not to burden you with anything else. So the point is the first church was a both and church. What we're creating here is not novel. It was the first church and it worked in the first church. They were able to hold together different expressions of worship to God in the same churches. And the church exploded and grew, spread across the whole world. Well, let me tell you, one of the things that convicted our elders that we could do this here, and I'm going to talk about this more next week, was that we have been a both and church for 30 years. We have been one church where different people worship God slightly differently on Sunday mornings, and still are a part of the same small groups, still a part of the same Sunday school classes, still show up for you when you're in the hospital or bake you a casserole or come to visit you when you've had a baby. One church where there's different expressions of worship and it's okay and good. And so some people might be thinking to themselves, well, isn't this a slippery slope? I mean, doesn't this at some point mean that we'll all be instrumental and that scares you and I understand that fear? Well, let me present to you our track record. 30 years ago, we promised the chapel service isn't going anywhere. And 30 years later, it's still right over there in that room happening right now. 30 years later, our elders kept that promise. Some churches might stand up here and say, we promise it's always going to be that way. And they don't have the track record to back it up. Look at our track record. We promise you we're keeping this, okay? And you can trust us. I asked Jim Chester the other day. I was like, we really need you to keep leading that service. We don't know what we'd do without you. We just want to make sure as we roll forward with all this that you're still on board. And he said, Eric, I plan to die leading singing in that pulpit. (laughs) And we told him, please die somewhere else. (laughs) That would be so traumatizing. If you died in the pulpit. But here's, here's like the point. We believe that and this are very good and bring glory to God. And we intend to keep them. But we also think the addition of this instrumental service is good and will bring glory to God. And in a both and church, you can support that even if it's not for you. You can support it. You're still going to be able to connect with God in your way, and they are too. And then you're going to go to small group together Sunday night. Okay. Praise God that our young people will see that what binds us is Jesus Christ and nothing else. Jesus Christ. Let me say a prayer over us. God, I'm, I'm just thankful for the spirit in this room. It's a spirit of graciousness, gentleness, and peace, eagerness to learn, um, willingness to trust. I believe that, holy, that spirit, God, is your Holy Spirit. And so this moment is precious to me and sacred to me. God, I pray that just a prayer of, of hopefulness that I've reflected our elders fairly in their thinking. More than that, God, I pray that I've been faithful to your word in Scripture. Would you bless us, God, in this church as we devote ourselves to the authority of your word and your glory in all the earth? Would you be faithful to us and bless us? And we pray this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus, who is our high king and worthy of all glory and honor. We pray in his name. Amen.